Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. guys who's ready to freak out over the preseason four snaps for Clyde Edwards Alaire all with the first team no substitutions in those four snaps shocker he was not tired he wasn't tired in his four snaps Antonio Gibson didn't play on third downs time to fade Quez Watkins is the best receiver on the Eagles KJ Hamler uh, is the second coming of Jerry Rice or a small version of Randy Moss. Trey Lance sucks. He made one good throw. It's over for Trey Lance. Um, What else? What else am I missing? They, uh, oops. They, uh, we know all the answers to the test now. It's over. So anyway, obviously I'm kidding. Most important thing is Darrington Evans uh, looked awesome. I thought he was about to take the first carry of the preseason for the Titans to the house. Looked explosive. Then came up Gimpy, and I thought it, I thought I was going to have to uh, shut down Spike Week and quit best ball forever when my brand guy got hurt in the first game of the preseason. But he seems to be good. He was tweeting up a storm. He's still tweeting up a storm. They say he's fine, just day to day. So Darrington is good. In case you are worried about that, the most, like I said, the most important thing is Darrington is fine. Secondly, Trey Lance did throw an 80-yard touchdown. He did throw an 80-yard touchdown. I think Trey Lance is such a funny example from the preseason because, yeah, you know, I'm joking around about him. Other people that are in on him, you know, very high on Trey Lance. He throws a bomb touchdown and we're all excited, right? Pants are off, blah, blah, blah. And and but there were there were there were concerning things. I, I think then you know the the cynics go the other way and they're you know oh look at you guys you know just just tweeting out the highlights. You're pushing this Trey Lance propaganda, not being realist. Look how bad he actually was. He was five of fourteen. He took however many sacks. He was terrible actually. And you're just pushing whatever you want, the narrative that you want, these touts, these stupid touts. When in reality, it was like, it's in the middle. The answer is in the middle. I thought he showed some things. You know, he showed some, Trey Lance showed some really good things. And the throw on the touchdown was, I, like, I'm not some scout. I didn't, I, I, I had concerns about Trey Lance's passing just like everybody else did. But the fact that they let him drop back, he's clearly trying to work. They're trying to, continue to work on his 
passing ability and just to show that he can even make a throw like that, right? They, they, I don't know if they weren't letting him run. He was actively not running. Whatever, whatever was the case, you know, he wasn't running. They definitely didn't uh, pull out any of the design runs. Maybe they're saving those for the regular season. But, you know, there were concerns, right? He wasn't checking the ball down, and so he took some sacks. Maybe in the regular season he runs, which would be good. Um, but I think it was like a, a so-so thing for 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 Trey, for Trey Lance. I, I agree. And I think that I think this is actually what's going to happen. There's like we clearly saw the flashes of the upside of like what were what, like I, I actually kind of got questions answered that I hoped to see about Lance. Like, can he actually make that throw that he made on on the touchdown? And I'm like, wow, he, he actually showed some good touch, not on that, but on some other throws. He made some really good throws. He made some bad throws, too, and some bad and some bad decisions, which is expected. So I think it was just like a, you're going to have the haters that are like, oh my god, he was five of fourteen, he's trash, and then you're going to have the people like me that probably want to see a little bit more of what they want to see, but I think it kind of keeps his ADP in the middle until he gets named the starter, and then, uh, and then. That'll do it. This is this is funny. Bind Fort. So now we have Bind Fort and any other ship chasing people. I was buy in for somebody else called me but Eric buy in for and now Eric Bind Fort. So that's the third. That's the third name. So anyway, joked a little bit about Darrington. Talked about Trey Lance just because they're obviously two of my uh, brand things. Talked to, joked a little bit about the massive overreactions, but I do think we should talk about first at a macro level, like. What the hell does all this this stuff mean? If you're anything, if you're anything like me, uh, yeah, awful. It was it was bad. I mean, he was also throwing like none of the part of the reason why you're buying into Trey Lance. Sorry to backtrack. Obviously, I'm passionate about Trey Lance. Part of the reason why you're buying Trey Lance is because of the starting offensive line, which some of those guys didn't play. I believe I'd have to double check that, and the weapons, the starting weapons. Right, you're not buying him to throw to Trent Sherfield and uh, God knows who else he was throwing to. Scrub, scrubby backups. Now I know he was playing against some backups too, but you're not. You're, you're like the upside of Trey Lance is in his legs and in the ability to throw to Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle and Raheem Mostert. It's not in throwing to to some of these other guys and not running. So um, nothing really changed too much for me for for Trey for Trey Lance. Before we before we get into this, I got like a long long list and um, a couple of really good articles that people put out that we can kind of use as a guide to talk about some of the specific individual cases. But before we get into those, I do think it's important to just be like take a step back, right? If like I said, if you're anything any like me and you've got, you know, you're in this fantasy football Twitter bubble, all morning like all I've seen all morning is about Snap counts, touch counts, who's playing on third downs, who's playing in the slot, who's playing with the third team, uh, who, you know, who played deep into the second quarter when we thought he would be a starter, right? That was the Miles Gaskin thing. Like, who actually looks good? Who, you know, blah, 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 right? And we're trying to, and everybody on every single player is trying to draw some sort of conclusion about, about, you know, like this, this, this is fine. I like TPJ, but I like a lot of some, some of these guys that, that flashed, but like, again, taking a step back and just thinking about 
like how do we need to appropriately react and what does it really mean? I tweeted the other day, last year, if you remember, this is like maybe the most extreme example. I guess there's probably two extreme examples from last year where we're in this exact moment last year and Ola B.C. Johnson is playing over Justin Jefferson, right? Justin Jefferson, first round pick, fairly, I, th I think we would all be pretty confident in saying he's better than B.C. Johnson. And I think he certainly proved that. And I think going in, we knew that too. It's just that he was the rookie and you're like, oh, okay. We had reports. There's literally reports that Justin Jefferson is the number three receiver behind B.C. Johnson on a team that's not going to play, a you know, they're going to play a fair bit of three wide receiver sets, but not like a ton. So you're like, okay, you know, I, I don't really want to buy the third wide receiver on the Vikings, right? Adam Thielen was going to be the, the alpha there, blah, blah, blah. And then, I mean, he, and he didn't, he didn't even play a lot the first two weeks. Justin Jefferson didn't. And now we saw what happened to, to Justin, to Justin Jefferson, right? Um, T Higgins, was playing behind Auden Tate and A.J. Green. Chase Claypool was playing behind James Washington. Jonathan Taylor, you know, not only was he playing behind Marlon Mack, and so part of that was Marlon Mack got hurt. That's running backs. Part of that was Marlon Mack got hurt. But also the other part was as the year went on, he also just flashed his talent. He started slow last year too. People were calling Jonathan Taylor Trent Richardson 2.0, and frankly, he didn't look very good. And then just as the year goes on, he's another league winner. And like he was not starting in the preseason. There's there's all of these guys where this happens. And I'm just, just picking, I'm just cherry picking a few, a few examples, right? So Jefferson dropped at the beginning of the year because oh, the reports are he's behind BC. And then the first two weeks he was behind BC. So we're seeing what's happening in the preseason, and you're and we're right about what that role is. Like you can even, A, you could be, we could be wrong about what that role is because we're working off really small samples, right? CEH, CEH, I do too sometimes, just so we're clear about being patient with, uh, with the stuff that we're getting. But, right, CEH played four snaps. He played every snap with, <laughs> with Mahomes or whatever it was, right? Um, or on the opposite side, Antonio Gibson did not play third downs in 11 snaps. I think it was 11 snaps did not play third downs. And so there's two things that can, that can happen. Well, I guess there's secondly three things that can happen. One that could just not be the case when we get to week one, <laughs> like he could mix it. Like we're also not needing Antonio Gibson to play. He doesn't need to be CMC and play every snap, but you just need him to play a little bit, right? That's the bet that we're making. But it also could be that it, McKissick continues to play third downs. That could be true. And that could continue throughout the entire year. That's within the range of outcomes. And then you probably don't love Gibson at that price. But McKissick could also, just like this Justin Jefferson thing, McKissick could play third downs early in the year. And Antonio Gibson, being a second-year player, getting more comfortable, them wanting to get him involved more, them already talking about using him in, you know, in the no huddle, in the hurry up, in the two-minute drill – he could grow into like Jonathan Taylor grew into a bigger role. Justin Jefferson grew into a bigger role, right? Chase Claypool grew into a bigger role because talent wins out. And then J JD McKissick's a fine receiver, but he's not as good of a football player as Antonio Gibson. And so we could be right about everything that we're drawing from these preseason snaps and still be wrong on 
how it impacts like our fantasy football season. Right. You could have been right. You could have been drafting Marlon Mack. Now, again, a little fluky with the injury. You could have been drafting Marlon Mack and fading Jonathan Taylor last year or just fading Jonathan Taylor last year. And you felt like a genius early on. And then Jonathan Taylor is the league winner at the end, even though you were right about his role to start the year. And so I just think we don't want to go too, too, too far. And I think what typically happens, talk about like kind of getting ahead of the market and, and, and fading the noise. What, what typically happens is we're going to overreact to KJ Hamler. <laughs> the market is going to, I don't know if we, all of us are going to overreact to KJ Hamler, but the market is definitely going to overreact to KJ Hamler because you just can't help it, <laughs> right? 100 yards and a touchdown caught the bomb. But like, why does that, it, that literally doesn't matter. His role isn't different than what we thought it was. KJ Hamler was always a good late round pick. I mean, he was going undrafted on DraftKings. It was truly egregious. But the market will overreact on a guy like him that we didn't really learn anything other than we pretty we were 99.9% sure he was good. We were 99.9% sure he was in this role and now we just know that, but nothing has really changed on him as a bet, but he's going but he's going to shoot up. And then you know, probably a similar thing for like Quez Watkins, but it could also be argued that like a Quez Watkins we may not react enough if he's actually like a starting Eagles wide receiver with pretty minimal target competition. Like he shouldn't be a last round pick. He should be going a lot higher. Those guys are interesting nuanced. And then on the other side, we're going to have my example is like Colin Johnson. Colin Johnson's a guy I've been really latching on to of late. He's going to probably end up being like one of my bigger stands amongst late round players. Um, but he's starting playing basically every snap with the starters with Trevor Lawrence. He has been that that was actually what we should have been assuming because DJ Chark has not only been bad, Urban Myers dunking on DJ Chark about how he's soft. Uh, but DJ Chark has been hurt and Colin Johnson has been playing with the ones on the outside. He's been starting. It's been Colin Johnson, Marvin Jones, and Visca with a little bit of Laquan Treadwell and like blocking, you know, Chris Manhurts as a blocking tight end mixing in ETN, whatever. But like he didn't put up a big box score and people, you know, like, oh, it's only because Chark is hurt, but we won't react enough, in my opinion, to someone like Colin Johnson. It doesn't have to be just Colin Johnson, but he he might get picked now and he has been getting picked um, a lot by me and by some other people. Again, shout out Peter Oberzet was really got me on Colin Johnson originally just in like taking a late round dart on Trevor Lawrence. Uh, stacks, but now I'm pretty in on Colin Johnson, just in in gen, totally in general. Uh, but I don't think that the market will react a ton to those guys. But then we're gonna we're gonna make KJ Hamler a 14th round pick or whatever, right? Um, which maybe he should have been before. I don't know. DPJ, right? DPJ, same thing. Can't you know? Can't see Higgins holding holding that 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 spot. Um, I like DPJ. I've been taking DPJ too, but he is also gonna. He's, he's catching a lot of helium, right? Um, and so hopefully it, you got ahead of DPJ and you got ahead of KJ Hamler. Um, I definitely did not get ahead of like Quez Watkins, but I have taken a little bit of like 18th round. We'll kind of see what keeps happening with Quez. Maybe Quez catches too much helium too, but I want to, I want to use this information to, you know, to, to like, you know, 
fade the market and in, in, in numerous different ways, but like getting ahead of them, but also fading the guys that they're going to prop up too much based on, based on either performance. A lot of the times it's performance, right. With like KJ Hamler. Um, but also like we pick and choose when these like snap counts and stuff like that matter. Right. So like Antonio Gibson, again, that's one of my guys. So it's easier for me to use him like as, as an example what has happened in that very short, that very small sample of a handful of snaps with him not not playing those third downs? It doesn't change the payoff of Antonio Gibson in the least, right? It doesn't change the payoff at all of what Antonio Gibson can provide you as a league winner. Maybe, maybe you can argue it changes the odds of the bet that you're making, right? Instead of plus. 300 it's plus 350 or excuse me it's uh you know whatever uh it's too early for me with the odds but you get what i'm saying it changes the odds of the bet that you're having to make you're having to pay more for the same payoff so i think that we 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 take too much a lot of the times or don't take enough that's just it's just weird interesting market that we're in right now where we're going to take too much from really small samples on certain guys and we're not going to take enough on the others and when in reality there's probably um it, it probably means nothing for most guys and even if it means something for like week one it might not mean everything for the entire year and it definitely might not mean anything for the payoff of that of that player as a fantasy football pick as a best ball pick Right. And that's the thing with Gibson. I've seen him called like, you know, he's a worse pick. He needs to fall or he's more he has more bust potential right now. Like that's not true at all. Nothing has changed. You know, maybe his his. The probability of hitting his ceiling has changed slightly. But like, I mean, we're talking about 11 snaps and it doesn't change what he can become this year at all. So I don't want to be I don't want to be overreacting to, to honestly anything that happens to a player like Antonio Gibson in the preseason. Same thing with Jonathan Taylor. Same thing with Ceh. Whatever those guys are the same bets that they've always been, almost regardless of of what happens. So I do want to pull up uh, Hayden Winks of Underdog real quick. We can talk about this. Yeah, Callaway. I, hopefully you got your Marquez Callaway a long time before now. Um, I am knock on wood, super lucky to have been drafting him quite a bit uh, in the late rounds across all all sites. Like bef- even before MT got hurt, I was on I was on Callaway. Not like great, like you know, he's not like my highest owned player or anything like that. But I have a good good bit of Callaway, and uh, I was still taking him. If you've been drafting on Drafters or DraftKings, I was still taking him as his ADP was rising. Um, now he's pretty he's pretty pricey and in every tournament that exists right now there's a you know he's in the situation where there was a lot of guys who got him really late you know the puppies are done and um even like in this five dollar on DraftKings or in the five dollar or eleven dollar on drafters people have him a lot a lot later so i'm not trying to ride ride him on the way up too much but i really really like him i think he's going to be a good a good fantasy asset um, so let's, here is Hayden's 
article, which I think is really good. I'm actually going to post a link to this in the chat. So if you guys want to check it out, you can pull it up yourself as well. But really, really good. There's other uh, Jack Miller of NBC Sports Edge, ETR, et cetera. He also did another really good piece. Make sure you check that out. Um, and then I also have Davis has a good thread on Twitter that I'm probably going to pull up. Obviously, you see, now let's talk about some of these macro examples. And if you have any questions, you know, obviously, if you have any comments, please drop them in the chat. Miles Gaskin is probably the biggest, you know, quote unquote loser of the weekend. The interesting thing about Miles Gaskin to me, um, let's go to running backs. Of course, he has him as his poster boy, and then he doesn't have him at the top here. Um, the interesting thing about Gaskin. And maybe I, maybe this is something that I just got lucky on, just still happened to be right about. But they brought in and paid Malcolm Brown. And Malcolm Brown has been the type of player that NFL coaches seem to love at the running back position, where we watch him and they suck, right? He's saying, and if you watch the game, I mean, he can't create anything for himself. The line is not good, so he looks even worse. Um, but NFL coaches like a dude like Malcolm Brown on third down and at the goal line. He's a good pass protector and he's a bigger back. And so they brought him in and then they touted him as Malcolm Brown is our, we, we love what he provides us on third down and at the goal line. And we heard all of this news. And so I had not been in on Gaskin and I actually, before the preseason game had started to waffle a little bit because my thought was like, Basically, what we saw was going to be the case. Miles Gaskin is, you know, like a in-between-the-20s runner playing a little bit on, on passing downs, and Malcolm Brown was going to have this role that we saw happen. Maybe not 16 of 20, maybe not 16 of 23 of 23 snaps, but in general, this premise, that was what I believed. And then, like, if you watched Gretchen and I do our draft on, on Thursday, if you have not, make sure to like and so you know just subscribe to the the youtube channel and you can go get notifications for all the drafts and everything that we're doing or go to spikeweek.com and you can check out that draft as well we talked about miles gaskin for a good a good bit because he was this weird dead zone running back where my belief was basically that he was a horrible pick I had like almost zero. And then I started to think like, well, what if I'm wrong about Malcolm Brown <laughs> and Miles Gaskin actually is like the workhorse on this, this Broncos team that I actually think, you know, I really want to buy their offense. And so I started to take just a little bit of Miles Gaskin um, in like the sixth or seventh round just to like not be completely stubborn. And now it's like, oh, now I'm back out on it. And he might plummet so far that now maybe he becomes a, a good pick again, like way out of the dead zone. But um, he was definitely the shining example of someone that I think we just saw what we probably should have expected. And frankly, he was just overdrafted. Um, and I think some people are saying like Malcolm Brown is still kind of a, sh a crappy pick. And I think that I think that's fair, but like also as a last round running back that's going to catch some balls and get some goal line carries, which he's going to have to earn keeping that role. First of all, he has to play better than he played uh, on on Saturday. But if he continues to have that role on an offense that I think is going to score some points, um, he's as good of a last round pick, last round running back pick as anybody. I think. So hold on, let me pull up this question real quick. Uh, 
best ball centric. I find myself leaning heavily hammering wide receiver for redraft. I think I've talked a little bit about this and I wrote a strategy piece on um, DraftKings, like general DraftKings and drafter strategy. And then I'm putting the underdog one up today on spikeweek.com. If you go to, if you go to spike week and you go to draft guides, you'll see all these things here. Um, and I actually like talked about some of what you're talking about here on, on DraftKings where it's interesting because you have to understand obviously the scoring and the format and all that and redraft leagues are very different. Um, I, I'm not going to like sit here and try to tout redraft because that's not my, my area of expertise. And I lean more heavily on some of these other guys that I talk to, you know, fairly frequently like Gratch, like Pat Corain, like, like Peter, um, like Leone, et cetera. Um, really quick hold on this is funny um yeah it has kind of broken my broken my brain too however i brought up that DraftKings piece because i've actually been a lot more uh of an early running back guy on like DraftKings, which sounds counterintuitive because of full ppr but reading that DraftKings market has been really important for me and knowing how how just depressed some of the wide receiver ADPs are. Now that is currently changing because it's like people like you, people that are listening to this, people that are in the, excuse me, Spike Week Discord are now over on DraftKings away from underdog. But um, I had been taking a lot more early running backs, even like going fairly heavy, like hyper fragile, robust running back on DraftKings of late because I know like, how cheap Rondale Moore was, how cheap Will Fuller was, how cheap Elijah Moore was, how cheap Jalen Waddle, how how cheap LaVisca is, how cheap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's like a million running backs and there's 20 rounds. So I can take those guys, like I can just hammer 12 wide receivers all through the middle rounds that I love as opposed to on an underdog hammering those rounds is like really, really bad wide receivers. <laughs> you know, Darnell Mooney is your wide receiver too or whatever. And I don't even mind Darnell Mooney, but I don't want him, you know, in half point PPR as my wide receiver too on underdog. So understanding that has actually led me a little bit more to um, currently, I think it's, it's in the process of flipping where we're soon going to get this flip where I'm going to convert back to a lot of, of zero RB hero RB builds on DraftKings. Anyway, long winded way of saying from a redraft perspective, what I've really been kind of pushed to from some of these smarter guys, like I said, make, go listen to Stealing Bananas um, and listen to Ship Chasing and listen to these guys talk about um, redraft, but just how much more powerful in a managed league zero RB can be. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, I've used best ball to kind of hone in and figure out what the strengths and weaknesses of all the strategies are. And then when you take those strengths and weaknesses and you apply it to the format that you're playing and the draft room that you're in, right. That's, uh, that's kind of how I like to, to, to take it is understand the strategies first, where they're strong, where they're weak, why, why you want to use them, why you, why you may not want to use them and then apply them to the format that, that you're playing. And like the, the draft market that you're in, right? Draft in best ball, DraftKings is very different from from drafters, which is very different from from underdog, whatever. And so redraft to me is is very similar. Is very similar. And yeah, stealing bananas is stealing bananas is, is awesome. I mean, I don't even necessarily disagree with this idea if it's not CMC. 
um, zero RB. I think that's totally fine. Um, anyway, let's talk about, let's get back to the preseason stuff. You guys got me distracted. I just did my dynasty rookie draft yesterday and my, my long running uh, dynasty home league. We started it. I'm 33. I'm 33 years old. And we started it when I was in high school and still running, still running. Um, so now I'm, I got some redraft brain and dynasty brain going on with you guys. So you got to be distracted on a, on a side tangent. So anyway, let's run down this list because Hayden did a really, really good job of pointing out basically all the, the really relevant things. And we can kind of talk about like, what the hell does this mean? <laughs> does, or does it mean anything? Is the market going to react, right? Going back to what I had up kind of on the slideshow a little bit is like really the, the, the point in looking at all of these things is not to decide like what you think is the most likely thing to happen or, or even necessarily how we should react because how we should react seeing like, the, here's the difference. KJ Hamler putting up that monster week. It's, it's actually not that we shouldn't be more interested in him. Seeing he's out there with the starter, seeing he's, you know, see, they were chucking the ball down the field, especially Drew Locke was. That's really good for him. Seeing, you know, he's healthy. We know that he's good at football. Seeing that they're using him in this, it does slightly bump up his value or, you know, hit where we should be drafting him. Just just having overall more certainty around uh, around that. It's not a lot more certainty, but it's a little. It's the same thing with Gibson. It's not a lot more certainty around what his role is going to be, but it is a little more, more certain about like week one, exactly what his third down role is going to be. So same thing for KJ Hamler. Seeing that is is good. It's just that the market is going to see the fact that he scored an 80 yard touchdown and had 100 yards in a in a preseason game and and probably prop him up too much. And so that's it's this push and pull thing that we're doing all the time. Like, does it really actually change the bet of the player? How much does it change the bet of the player? And then like, how much is the market reacting to it? Right? Like, I really really uh, somebody brought up Marquez Callaway earlier. Like, I really really like. Uh, Marquez Callaway, but if the market is going to push this dude up, which he is starting to get pushed way, way up, you know, into the 12th or 13th round or something like, sorry, it doesn't make, it doesn't change the bet that much. Um, Cause I already kind of, you know, same thing. We already kind of expected this, this to be the case. Um, just doubling back really quick. I agree. Those are the kind of guys I want to be, I want to, I want to, I want to bet on. I think in the, in a home league or yeah, on DraftKings, DraftKings feels very similar to home leagues, which is kind of funny. Um, hero, those guys, or even RBRB with two of those guys, or even hyper fragile with all three of those guys. And I would lump Swift, I would throw Swift into there as well. I think there's a lot of different ways you can go. Um, in a home league, I would not want to be drafting all three of them, um, but you can even take two, I think, depending upon how, how your room is. Or how you, you know how your, your your league mates are, which is which is the thing about DraftKings is I feel comfortable I can still smash at wide receiver taking like two of these guys taking Gibson and Ceh or taking Henderson or whatever. Um, so just knowing that is important. So anyway, Dak Prescott, this one was laughable to me. The market he's still tanked. His ADP is still tanked. I haven't drafted on underdog uh, in the last few days. Been drafting on DraftKings and drafters um, just because I don't have that many best ball mania two. Uh, drafts left and obviously the puppy is closed. Um, so anyway, Dak gets announced that he is, uh, getting a second MRI. The team tells us it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. He's fine. Don't worry. But everybody panics, right? There's another Cowboys beat reporter that in the Twitter thread with 
that cowboy that Dallas Cowboys official account tweet posts that like, like I think it was a direct quote or something anyway basically posts like this is only precautionary because the only way to figure out if Dak's shoulder is healing is by doing an MRI and Dak says he feels great they just want to make sure that just because he's feeling great doesn't mean that we need to keep resting him and so totally precautionary MRI he feels awesome and he's throwing and everybody's like, Oh my God, MRI. I'm out on Dak. Dak's a seventh round pick now. <laughs> it's like, this is actually probably good news. <laughs> and we tanked and we tanked his ADP. So anyway, now we got, he got the MRI feels he's, he's on track. He's healing. Um, of course, bumping him down is okay from a fifth round pick to like a sixth round pick or moving him behind, moving him to the end of that tier, Lamar, Kyler, Josh Allen, et cetera, I think is totally fine, but we've overreacted. We we've, we've some, I mean, especially on like the lesser sites, lesser, damn it. That I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. Cut that one out. Earmuffs. You didn't hear that one on the less efficient mark in the less efficient markets like DraftKings. Dak is like, dude, seventh round, like mid or late seventh round Dak Prescott sometimes. With especially with how easy it is to get like CD Amari's going in the fourth, Gallup goes much later. It's bad. I think we've over we've overreacted. We talked a little bit about Antonio Gibson, um, and so this is where the only thing I will comment on. This is I agree with everything that uh, Hayden Hayden said, but this is where I I disagree. I I don't. Why is he a bust player? I don't understand why Antonio Gibson is viewed as some bust player. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. In a worse offense last year, without playing passing downs, he was extremely efficient. And he still caught passes. I know it's a little bit of a different offense. Uh, it's actually not a different offense. It's a different quarterback. He still caught passes last year. He still caught passes in this preseason game. We're all freaking out about the third down thing. Why can't they throw it to him on early downs? It's just like a massive overreaction to this tiny little sample. I, I actually think... The reason why I'm on Gibson, same reason why I'm on like the 49ers, is because he's the opposite of a boom bust player. He's he's low risk, like boom player. Same thing as the 49ers. When you have efficiency, when you have efficiency and you have talent and you have a good offense, they have a good defense, which is good for him. I don't really get that this premise that he's like risky. I mean, other than the fact that he's a running back, that's inherently risky. But like as a running back bet, you know who's risky? Najee Harris. Like basically guaranteed inefficiency. Like it, you can gain volume. The easiest thing to do is gain or lose volume. Like that, the counterpoint to Najee Harris. It's like you can we project him for like every running back touch and that's why he's going where he's going, but we're also projecting him for inefficiency. And it's really, really hard to see him gaining efficiency in this offense. Like, cause he's also not that explosive of a player. You need, you need the explosion to help gain the efficiency. And that's, he, he didn't have very many long runs, even at Alabama playing against scrubby teams and just having the best O line in the country. So like we we think volume concerns are what make players have a lot of bust potential. Oftentimes it's the players we assume to have a lot of volume because you can lose volume blink of an eye. 
What if Anthony McFarlane is just looking good, which he kind of is? They want to get him on the field more. Like when we have assumptions that you need all of this volume, that's that's trouble. Or you need to gain efficiency. Gaining efficiency is like the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do. So anyway, too much, too much on that. All in Daryl Henderson. Rams have kind of announced that. I, I, he, uh, Hayden might have even said it here. No, I think they said they're not playing. They're not going to play him um, in the preseason, putting him on ice. You know, because they don't after Acres, they don't want Henderson to get hurt. Hayden even mentions um, that he's played almost all the the first team snaps while he's there. I think that there's Henderson's a great example of there's this misconception of two things: player hasn't done it before in terms of like being a borderline workhorse, right? And Henderson hasn't. He hasn't been a workhorse in his career. Um, or even necessarily at Memphis. And so that is that's something to keep in mind, but it, we write those guys off because of that, which I think is weird. Um, and then size. He is, I believe, like 5'9", 205 or 210, something like that, Henderson is. And people are like, oh, you know, I can he be, can he be a workhorse? He's really little. Christian McCaffrey is that size, right? Dalvin Cook is barely bigger than that. Alvin Kamara is not a workhorse, but Alvin Kamara is one of the best fantasy backs in the league. He's little. Like Derrick Henry is like actually the only like monster, like truly huge back. Like Saquon is thick, but he's not that. He's not. He's actually not even that big. So there's this misconception about size. I uh, I feel like. Which I don't, I don't, I don't really get. Um, so yeah, continue to smash Henderson for me. Not obviously, again, not in the tournaments like Best Ball Mania two and the DraftKings Millie. I don't think, but in any future like Puppy three, let's just keep to me until until the market really makes values him where I think he should be valued. Keep smashing him. Jags on onto the Jags. I'm I'm really heavy on the Jags. The Jags are going to be uh, one of my like top stacks, but you know there is the same concerns that everybody's been having all year about Travis Etienne. Um, yeah, there was worst case scenario. See kind of, but same thing with Etienne. I kind of hope everybody does overreact to this too, because I don't think this changes anything for Etienne. He is a player that we know is going to have a part-time role to start the year. And you're betting on the talent in an offense that hopefully should improve a lot with Trevor Lawrence and greater weapons and better coaching. And Etienne you know, uses his talent, his far superior talent over James Robinson and um, Carlos Hyde to like win out over the course of the season. And the fact that he's catching passes already is good. That's good. So uh, I wouldn't be reacting to personally to uh, the ETN thing. And he says it's not a fantasy friendly rotation for now. I actually agree with that, but we're not betting on the for now thing with ETN. We're betting on the, the over the course of the season. Um, and the relative floor in terms of what we expect to be pass catching. Melvin, yeah, Melvin didn't play, so Javante looked looks really awesome. Um, not, again, not drawing too much here. I don't think that it changes too much for Javante, other than he looks good like we expected. The Broncos looked good. Broncos looked really good. Um, Sermon, Mostert didn't play, so again, it's a little bit... Uh, we're a little bit unsure of exactly what that means for Sermon, but I do think it was a it was a, a fairly big positive that um, 
you know, we saw him catch passes. We saw, uh, you know, him play the overwhelming majority of, of the snaps. So I think it was a small boost to Trey Sermon. I'll be interested to see what the market does. If anything with Trey Sermon, probably that he probably won't move too much. Maybe like he guys like him might get artificially moved up because Gaskin might, might fall, but positive for positive for Trey Sermon. Uh, real quick. Let me double to the question. Yeah, I think this is maybe a, a hot take, a bold take or whatever. Um, I see people talking, and we might even get to it here. Maybe I can scroll to it because I don't have a ton that I care about with the Patriots. We talked about Gaskin already. Michael Carter, um, I think you know there's some reason for concern, but this is probably the same thing what you expected. Michael Carter was a long-term over the course of the season passing down bet. Not If you thought Michael Carter was going to come out in the first preseason game and like dominate the first team. I think you're probably just being silly. Um, Bucks rotation played out as we expected. Geo Geo looks really good as a late round target. And here we go for the Texans. Uh, I think people are processing this oddly for me with the Philip Lindsay thing. Philip Lindsay played ahead of, of David Johnson and these, and these other backs, which is like, I don't think we should be surprised by that, but he didn't play passing downs. Um, and like, uh, we're, we're expecting the Texans to be horrible, right? The full expectation is that the Texans are really bad. Probably are not going to be a, a team just efficiently running all game and definitely not going to be a team playing from ahead. And yet, people, there's a little bit of consensus that Philip Lindsay getting early down carries is good for him. I actually want the guy catching passes in 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 this offense. It's like it's fair to tank Johnson and Rankin. I guess that's fine. He was just flat out overpriced. I don't, I, don't, I think if your rankings had David Johnson really high, your rankings were probably just bad. Um, but the Philip Lindsay thing, I don't really, I don't really get why people are on an early down committee back not catching passes on one of the worst offenses we've ever seen that we expect to play in negative game scripts the entire season so i don't have philip Lindsay ranked because i don't really see any scenario in which he's like paying me off as a late run back other than what i will say where i could be wrong is that he just takes it over but the problem is he's never done that before. And so we're like continuing this every year bet that Philip Lindsay takes over like this passing down work and takes over more of it, more of the overall role at running back. And it's hard, it's hard for me to see, even though I kind of like Philip Lindsay as a player. So he's a guy that, yeah, if you maybe want to toss him in at the end over some of the other guys, um, I think that's fine. But I have more of uh, whether it be handcuff type guys or committee backs with what I perceive to be more contingent value basically based on their offense over, over Philip Lindsay. And I think that's a, um, also a, a fair assessment. So, um, great question. How often does talent went out? Uh, I think over the course of NFL time, uh, talent almost always wins out. Not always, but if you can play, you are probably going to get onto the onto the field more often than your teammates that can't play. There are certain situations, obviously, like running backs where teams, uh, coaches have schemes that 
don't lead themselves. And I think this is actually where we're headed is that like, even like look at the first round running backs, Alvin Kamara is in a committee. <laughs> he just gets a lot of really valuable touches and he's really good at football. So we take him as a fourth overall player or whatever. Derrick Henry doesn't play on passing downs. And he's like the number three overall pick. Um, Austin Eckler is a path is like basically like a pat is a, a souped up passing down back, like kind of like Kamara. We take him really early. Aaron Jones has always been a committee back and will continue to be a committee back. And so um, talent still wins out for those guys in getting the touches that we need for fantasy and converting them into points. And that's the Travis Etienne. The Travis Etienne is just flat out better than James Robinson and Carlos Hyde. I don't think you should be projecting Travis Etienne to become Christian McCaffrey in terms of playing hundred percent of snaps. You should be projecting him to become like, I don't know, Alvin Kamara where like those other guys are going to play. And if you, we talked about this on uh, ship chasing, I think if you got to pick the touches for your running back, you actually would give away the two yard carry on your own 20. Give that to Carlos Hyde. Why the hell do I want Travis Etienne using his energy and, you know, running backs get hurt so much. Why do I want him banging between the tackles for two yards on his own 20? Throw him the ball, get him the ball in space and give him the ball at the goal line. I want those touches. I don't really give a shit about, you know, the, the in between the twenties. I mean, you care about some of the in between the twenties work because you need that for upside, but like, I don't care about the between the tackles three yard gains, you know? Um, so I think in general talent wins out into the profiles that we want as a, as a, a fantasy player, right? Catching passes, getting the ball in space, making big plays and scoring touchdowns. It doesn't necessarily, you know, I think we're moving in the NFL towards, a situation where almost every team is like a committee. I mean, even like the chiefs are running committees, right? CMC is like one of the only backs, you know, Dalvin, Dalvin was, you know, a, a workhorse last year, but even then I think they have, it's scripted like every third series he comes out. So like, he doesn't even play, you know, 95% of the snaps. He's, he, he takes series off. And so I just think the NFL is kind of moving in that direction. So we need to get out ahead of that. And that's what ETN fits that archetype, excuse me, of, of a player. Yeah. I read this too, dark sheep and um, I want to jump uh, off my one story house uh, after seeing some of there's, there's some, I think I have the athletic up too, um, but I try to close that article. Yeah. Um, there's nothing definitive, but I do have a, a good bit of Latavius Murray. I've been luckily backing off because um, his price rose a little bit, but there is, Two now two beat reporters. They haven't said they think Latavius is going to get cut, but he but that he is not a roster lock, and he's kind of fighting with Devonta Freeman for the spot. Which if he can't beat out Devonta Freeman for the roster spot, maybe <laughs> we have greater issues. Um, which is the risk in taking an older running back, I guess. But um, yeah, I think that that's you know that wasn't something that was like preseason recap related but that was something that's happening right now that uh two beats now have said like they don't that you know they're not saying he's going to get cut but that he needs you know it's not a lock which is yeah which is the scary part i'm not very excited about it let's just say that much i am excited about this next point that hayden makes and this is you know darrington is my guy so like 
I'm very excited about him, him specifically. I have a lot of very, 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 very high percentage of my teams have, have Darrington Evans, but this is like the point about this archetype of a player pick, pick whoever you prefer, right? Damian Williams um, was, was the same thing. He is, it was, is a good player slash prospect. Same thing. Damian Williams, we're pretty sure is a, is a pretty good player. And we were betting on him to have this handcuff for all with the Titans. It's like they have people keep like talking about Brian Hill and Jeremy McNichols and like, come on, they have a third round prospect. That was a pretty good prospect out of Appalachian state. That's explosive that the coaching staff is talking up that last year was the handcuff until he got, obviously he got hurt. He hurt his hamstring. He was out for a long time, but he was the handcuff. Now he's back healthy and people are like, Oh no, it's going to be Brian Hill. Like get out of here. Like Brian Hill has never really done anything over the course of his his season. Shout out Brian Hill, pride of Belleville West High School, best running back in the history of Wyoming. Love love Brian Hill like as a human. Hope hope it works out for him. But betting on like like Darrington Evans to me is just like let's just use some common sense. This guy is a really high upside handcuff of a running back that gets 400 plus carries a year and is like, I mean, maybe Derrick Henry will never get hurt, but I certainly wouldn't want to be betting on that. And Derrick Henry doesn't play passing downs and they're talking up like they made a ridiculous comp, right? A Brian Edwards to Terrell Owens level comp, but like Darrington Evans can be their Alvin Kamara, right? That he's explosive in the passing game and he's going to play in the passing game. We take guys in high value offenses as handcuffs or like, does Tony Pollard have a greater role than Darrington Evans to start like t- total standalone role? I mean, maybe not, but people, I guess it was just the uncertainty of the Darrington Evans thing. And people maybe don't think he's very good or whatever, but he came out in the preseason and to me pretty much showed that uh, he's still underpriced and he's probably going to fall because he got dinged up. And so I'm scooping up more. And so like Hayden says, uh, if he were, I, w- I wouldn't hate it if he were, my highest drafted player in best ball. He is my highest drafted player in best ball and correct. I don't hate it. <laughs> I love it. Actually, he got dinged up, but again, he, uh, they're saying, they're saying that he's fine. So I'm not, I'm not worried about his health and I'm just going to use it to get a little bit more value on Evans because I think um, it's just the exact kind of pick that we want has a little bit of standalone value. Not much, you know, it's, it's not to the level of AJ Dillon or something like that. But um, he is going to play, and I think he's going to catch some passes, which could create some spike weeks. You know, if if game script goes away from Derrick Henry, rare, but it's going it, to it's possible. And he just has this crazy contingent value if something happens to Derrick Henry. Justin Jackson, um, he also got hurt. Um, I don't think that uh, that Hayden mentioned that. I don't think we know how serious it is for. Um, Justin Jackson, but he did, he, he did get, get banged up. So I would be monitoring that. Um, I think it was very clear both from reports for before the game and his usage in the game that Justin Jackson was, uh, there you go. Yeah. Got hurt. Um, so I would just be monitoring him because I think he was an awesome buy, you know, in this very, very short term, when we we got some news from Beats and we saw the usage in the game, that it was very clearly that he was the RB2. And we know, we've known all along that whoever that RB2 is, and possibly whoever the RB3 is in this offense, is like 
valuable pick. It's just they were going undrafted or drafted in the 18th round because we we didn't know. And so once we pretty much knew, I think Jackson was just a smash, smash late round pick. But now, obviously, <laughs> we got to kind of monitor monitor that. So I actually think it's fair to, if you want to take shots on all three of these guys, continue to take shots on all, all three of these guys. Larry Roundtree did did look probably the best out of all of them, but it was, you know, um, he didn't, excuse me, he didn't get the usage with the first teams. So a situation to continue monitoring, I think. Yeah, Kenny Gainwell. Um, I haven't been really buying the, the Gainwell thing for all of the offseason. I think Boston Scott is the priority a handcuff or or secondary eagles back. Um, that's just my opinion. Gainwell does have some obviously pass catching chops. Yeah, JV and Hawkins he talks about. Rashad Bateman. Let's talk about Rashad Bateman because I think it also applies to like MT. Um, I think I have Michael Thomas. I think I put him last on my <laughs> wide receiver rankings. I was going to leave him off, but I um, I didn't want uh, people to think like it was a mistake. Like I accidentally left him off. So I put him literally put Michael Thomas last. Um, I just don't want to be drafting guys that are already injured and injured for a significant portion of the season. We only have so many weeks and I made this mistake last year. I drafted um, a lot of Debo Samuel and Debo was hurt going in to the season. Um, and I think that was a, that was a, a, a mistake um, just because there's just like, you're drawing so thin to them, to them paying you off. I think people think about it the wrong way. Um in, in these, these tournaments in that they're like, Oh, well, if I can just get there and now I have Michael Thomas in the ninth round, it's like, Hey, it's going to be so much hard. You're, you're literally playing 17 against 18 for a, a large portion of the regular season. And then you need him to be 100, 100% healthy and 100% the fantasy asset that you thought he was going to be like with Michael Thomas and Rashad Bateman, you know, Michael Thomas, we could at least maybe have a conversation. But I think the, the issue with Michael Thomas is cost right now. It's not that you, you can't take him. I'm not taking him. But it's not that you can't. It, the issue is cost. With Rashad Bateman, his cost is, is falling. But, like, now you have way too many things stacking up against a player. We know sometimes, you know, we want to bet on rookies. But we also know sometimes that there's uh, getting up to speed issues. For rookies, even ones as good as Rashad Bateman. Now you also have a low, like we have the low volume passing offense. We have low volume passing offense with Rashad Bateman. We have those issues of like, okay, well now when he gets back, he's missing a, a extended stretch of time that he needed, right? As a rookie, you need you need this time to get up to speed in the offense, to um, get up to speed with the the NFL. And we're assuming he returns around week four, but that's also not guaranteed. And you have the re-injury risk. So we already had concerns about like exactly how valuable is a wide receiver in this offense. Was he even the number one? Was it Hollywood? Was it Sammy Watkins? Was it Mark Andrews? So there's just a lot of things stacking up against Rashad Bateman that, um, again, it's not that you can't take him. It's cost. And I, I don't want I, I don't want any part of these guys uh, at cost. And this is also a good point. It's like, we, what if what if Michael Thomas comes back and he's not healthy and Taysom's the quarterback? He's actually a 
quite horrible ninth round pick right now after missing after missing six weeks. Um, so you know, if you have differing opinions on the injured guys, I get it, but that's kind of my my take. Um, I think we've beat the the Steelers wide receiver wide receiver thing too far. Um, we don't need to we don't need to touch on that. The Curtis Samuel thing I think is is interesting because he's also dipping for quote unquote in, in injury concerns. Um, but they announced two days ago that he is uh, basically like could have played. They were just like being being smart about his recovery. He could have played if they needed him to to go like today, and then they activated him off the pup today, I believe, or yesterday. He's at, but he's, he's so he's back. He's back practicing. So uh, you know, Curtis Samuel was a so-so middle round wide receiver pick. I like the talent, and I, I do like the offense actually. Um, so I bought him a, a little bit. I typically liked guys in his range uh, a little bit more. Um, but he's really fallen. So I actually think he's a fairly, fairly decent buy. Just again, going back to, he's probably one of the examples where we, uh, we were, we were overreacting because it really wasn't going to impact, really wasn't going to impact anything. Adam Humphreys. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is kind of funny. Josh, Josh, if you've been following underdog, Josh has been touting Adam Humphreys and, you know, there's been all these, this Adam Humphreys is Ryan Fitzpatrick's favorite targeting camp like get out of here adam humphreys is whatever he's fine if 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 adam humphreys is a usable asset on your especially half point ppr on underdog team but honestly if he's if he's a usable asset on your full point ppr team your team's probably just bad i don't really see any way in which adam humphreys paid pays you off. I will say I have taken him a, a time or two when you need to like backdoor a stack. You know, I would love, I would prefer to get Diami, but like if something crazy happens in your draft and like you absolutely have to backdoor Fitz Humphrey stacks or something like, I guess, but you're not excited about it. Mecole. Yeah. Mecole played, you know, with the starters, no comment. We'll see. Yeah. Visca is, uh, you know, Visca's a slot receiver. Visca's a slot receiver. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not drawing too much from the Jags. Rondale, yeah, Rondale ran mostly shallow routes. Shocker. Horizontal raid. Everybody runs mostly shallow routes. Um, I, you know, I'm not too worried about kind of some of these nuances of him being lost, working, working downfield. Expect an extremely low A dot for Rondale Moore. I'll take it. I don't think that's bad. Jamison Crowder, again, only a slot receiver. Shouldn't change anything. Paris Campbell, slot receiver. Jacoby Myers continues to probably be a pretty good buy. He's hashtag good. Um, and Edwards, you know, the Edwards hype is probably a little bit ridiculous, but the team is very clearly treating him like a uh, like a starter. Um, I want to really quick. Oh, Quez. Yeah. I'm glad we got to the Quez portion. Um, I actually think Quez is still a, a good buy. He's actually getting drafted now. You know, he's one of those where, yeah, I guess it sucks that we, you know, weren't taking him early in the off season. There's really no, no way to know, but he's a good example of like, this is why we draft all throughout the year. Um, 
you start to see guys kind of break out that now look like good bets in the 18th or 17th round. Um, and so we start to mix them in. You create natural diversification at the ends of your, your drafts. And, and it, you know, I think some people might say, oh, it feels like chasing or it feels like, you know, I'm overreacting to something. But in this particular scenario, it, it is not. We just didn't have a lot of clarity on what the Eagles were going to look like. And they have a ton of available snaps and targets like Devonta Smith is hurt, but we expect him to play, you know, one of those wide receiver spots when he gets gets back. Jalen Rager is not impressing, um, but we expect him to still play one of them. There's plenty of, of available work for a guy like Quez Watkins. And if he just keeps shining and keeps earning more work, we should be drafting him. It doesn't matter that we didn't know that that before. So I'm in on Quez actually, um, you know, as a late round guy, again, similar to like Hamler, if the, if the helium gets out of, gets absolutely out of control, I'm out like that. That's when we can be out. But um, I actually think this is a good time to use this information to our advantage that he, you know, we wish we would have known that he was one of the better bets at the back end of the drafts over, um, full gum over guys like that, but we didn't, and that's okay. So we just, you know, pivot when we need when we need to pivot. Um, Goddard, I guess, yeah, Got, Goddard, Goddard would be uh, the other probably biggest issue. Is you know, say whatever we want about how how hashtag good or hashtag not good Zach Zach Ertz is. He draws targets, and if he's gonna be there and he's gonna play, Dallas Goddard is just way too expensive. I really like Goddard's, um, and I think this we've kind of known this since Ertz came back, and they, since they said they're probably not trading Ertz, I think we've known this. Um, and his, his ADP has been plummeting, but I think he's still he's still too too expensive. And as sick as it makes me, I think Ertz is a totally fair fair buy here. Um, yeah. There's definitely concern, I guess I, I could say, uh, over over Ferkser. I'm not too worried yet, though, no, because I didn't. He's not like a traditional tight end, and we haven't made it far enough in the in the in the preseason to really draw any sort of actual conclusions. I did want to bring up Davis's tweet thread real quick, and then we can hop out of here. Um, yeah, Davis. This is Davis. Davis has made good points. Pat Kareen has made really good points on Ertz. You know. If Ertz is Larry Fitzgerald of the last couple of years, like he's a top 10 tight end, you know, probably higher, higher than that. And it's like, we, we view that through a lens that isn't as true as what it really is for um, the tight end position. And yeah, Ertz, Ertz is probably not going to, you know, have you and get you any 25, 30 point weeks, but with as weak as tight end is and where he goes and what, what he can, you know, provide you structurally, like a lot of singles is good. <laughs> a lot of singles is is really good. So, like I said, it makes me sick to my stomach that these guys have talked me into some Zach Ertz, but I do think he he makes he makes a lot of sense where he's going. Um, we talked about Gaskin, yeah, McFarland. That's another one. Uh, McFarland is a really good buy. Another thing we didn't know the Pittsburgh backup situation. I think it is pretty clear now that Anthony McFarland is the backup. I think he's a fairly talented uh, second year player. Um, I think he's fairly explosive. He might even be more explosive than Najee. Um, and so he has not, the the Steelers were like the chargers where we didn't know who the backup was. It's not, not the same. Uh, it's not that level of value, 
that that position. But it's just another uh, 18th round pick that I think we should um, start start mixing in. Um, I think he's a pretty good he's he's a pretty good one actually. If something happens to Najee, I think he could be you know kind of a a, a workhorse. He'll definitely be a, a valuable fantasy asset in my opinion. So that's something that we can draw. Um, not <laughs> pets. That's funny. Um, some people disagree with that, but that is funny. Uh, Ty Johnson, I would, I would, you know, Ty Johnson has really kind of fallen off the map going undrafted. Um, but he's still playing ahead of Carter still playing, uh, uh, third downs. Tevin Coleman did not play, but I, I, I think, you know, if you've moved off of Ty Johnson, I think you might want to move back on again, like mix these guys in to your drafts at the end. Right. You don't have to like, you don't have to be all in on one particular guy, but you know, one draft, take Ty Johnson. The next one, take Anthony McFarland when it makes sense. Right. And Ty Johnson makes a lot of sense in uh, more zero hero RB because I think he might have a role right out of the gate. Um, let's see. He had a couple. Of, oh, I don't think, I, I don't agree with this, but I think it's a, a, a fair point that Kylan Hill he talks about Kylan Hill earning earning some third downs. Um, Kylan Hill was a really talented receiver um, in in college at Mississippi State, and so he does have have that skill set. And so, what I don't think he's going to earn third down work away from from Aaron Jones. I mean, I guess it's it's possible, but I think if something were to happen to Aaron Jones, uh, I think Kylan Hill would play. Basically, AJ Dillon um, would definitely you know be a be a smash. But Kylan Hill would would play, which is now we're talking about like double contingent value. I don't think I want to be drafting him over these these other guys, but I think it's something just to factor into your like maybe your AJ Dillon assessment. Um, Taysom Hill looked legit awful. Yeah, shocker. Um, yeah, I think I think that's about. I think there was one question. I'm gonna double. I'm gonna I'm gonna double back to you. Yeah, I mean, Ramondre had a big had a had a had a big play. I don't even need, I don't even know it's necessarily that he won't play rookies. Uh I think he played Sony, didn't he? Um but just th- there's no pa- I don't see what's the path to Ramondre playing really. I mean, I guess if Damian gets hurt, but even then he's not getting passing downs. I think it's I just don't think we want to be drafting uh Ramondre. Let me say as the NFL season approaches, stacking correlation matters more and ADP matters less. Um, yes and no ADP. So not to keep hitting this home, but ADP matters when guys fluctuate wildly. Um, you know, KJ Hamler, what is not any different of a bet than he was really before, but if his ADP changes wildly, then I think we want to make sure that we're being smart about, you know, it was like the not the same thing as the Daryl Henderson thing, but Marcus Calloway. If Marcus Calloway shoots up six rounds. It's like, okay, he was going in the 18th, and a lot of my opponents have him in the in the 18th or 17th or whatever, and I'm trying to take him in the 12th or 13th. Like, maybe that's not the best, even though he might be the best actual pick uh, at that at that time. So we do have to take into account the the tournament aspect in in best ball, um, and I think. I think ADP always matters. Um, 
stacking and correlation are ex- extremely massive, but I, w- I can do that while extracting the most value out of the market at any given time. So, you know, if people are, if the market is wildly changing during, during the preseason and right, Curtis Samuel fell and um, Anthony McFarland wasn't getting drafted and uh, let's, uh, so and so somebody else is is being overdrafted. Miles Gaskin is being overdrafted now. Maybe Miles Gaskin falls really far, and now I can get the cheapest Miles Gaskin. Right, just manipulating that market while still building in the stacking and correlation. I don't need to reach for my stacks and correlation. They're going to come to me. I can always backdoor different stacks. I can create the correlation in ways that don't make me give up value. So I wouldn't say that ADP matters less. ADP ADP probably almost always matters less, but I think that there are ways to make sure we're getting the most firepower out of every team via ADP while still taking advantage of stacking and correlation, roster construction, you know, structure, and all the different draft strategies. So um, I think that'll do it for now. We've gone a, a little bit over an hour. I was hoping to keep it to an hour, but there's a lot to talk about. If you want to, if you want to catch a recap of kind of just the overall macro strategy, I talked about that. At the top, be posting a bunch more stuff to the website, core picks for each site, you know, kind of who, you know, my guys would be, the strategies, um, the general macro strategies for each of the sites, as I've now done a ton of drafts on each of the sites. I think there's very clear themes and strategies that we should be using, um, you know, like non-player specific type strategies for each site. And I also posted the content schedule for every, uh, you know, every day leading up to the season, Monday through Friday. Um, It'll typically be at this time, 12 p.m. Eastern. So lunchtime, Um, there's a different kind of show each day. And Wednesdays, we'll be doing it uh, at 5 p.m. Yeah, 5 5 p.m. Eastern. It'll be just kind of like a little hangout. It's like a midweek break, a little happy hour. Go pour yourself a cocktail. You can hang out, talk about whatever it is that you guys want to talk about. But I'll be back tomorrow at this exact time and uh, be on the lookout for more, more content. But until then, have a good